Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. I'm really excited about this morning's message, although it's not an easy one uh, necessary to give. But I'm going to just kind of set it up and set up this month of October uh, for us by asking you a question. How would you describe your house? And I don't mean the building, but I mean your house, your home. Like if you said, hey, come on over to our house, okay? We're calling this series Our House. You remember that song back in the day? Our house in the... Some of you young people haven't got a clue what I'm talking about there. Look it up on Spotify or YouTube, okay? Our house in the middle of the street. I just kind of want to sing it. Uh, but how would you describe your house? If you said to me, hey, hey, come over to our house, how would you describe it? Would our house for you, would it be a welcoming house? Would it be a fun house? Would it be an uh, orderly house? Where everything's nice in order and everything's all filed and everything. Would it? Be, some of you know, no, not that. Would it be a slightly chaotic house? When I am, when when our youngest son Simeon, who's got very complex special needs, you know the story. He's in residential care now. When he was with us, he was with us up to the age of 15. And when he was very little, he, he's always been a lovely guy. We love him to bits. But he was very chaotic in the house. And we went through a season years ago where we thought we'll invite people around for dinner because that's what we want to do. That's what we like to do. And that's what we thought we, we, we want to do and we should do. And so we used to invite people around for dinner. You never quite knew what Simeon was going to do next. And so we invited this couple around for dinner once and literally I see them walking up the drive to our house and all of a sudden water starts coming through the, the roof, the ceiling above us. He's in the bathroom and he's decided to, to flood the bath and to flood the bath and the bathroom and water is coming in through the, through the ceiling. And literally they're walking up the drive. So we're grabbing all of our pots and pans, putting them all out. I'm opening the door and saying, hi. Welcome to our house. I'm just going to have to ask you to sit in the lounge for a minute because the house is flooded. And they came up the stairs because that was on a, on a second level and they sat in there and their eyes were really big as they looked at us running around with pots and pans. Our house was not an orderly house. It's a little bit chaotic. Maybe your house is an embracing house. Maybe your house is an intimidating house. But you know, the Bible says that the church... One of the metaphors for the church, there's lots, there's bride, there's body, there's army, there's family. There's lots of metaphors and pictures for what the church should be. One of them is a house, the house of God. And what we want to do in the month of October is we want to talk to you about what our house is like. And so many of you are newer to us as a church Maybe you're newer to faith. Maybe you're exploring faith. We've got a lot of people on Alpha at the moment, which is great. We've got people connecting with us from Bromsgrove and, and Cliberry and Hagley and Rowley and Hales Owen and online. And we thought we'd take a month to try and describe to you what our house is about. Not that our house is perfect as a church. It isn't, okay? And if you're looking for the perfect church, please don't join it because you will mess it up, all right? Because you're not perfect and neither am I. But we're going to look at this whole idea. And one of the things that I want to talk about today is our house, this church, is a vision-driven house. We are a vision-driven house as a body of people. In fact, the theme we're looking at is finding vision for your life. And I realise when I say that, finding vision for your life, some of you in this room, some of you on, in our locations or online, you're saying, hang on a minute. I'm holding on to my sanity by my fingernails right now. I've got no space for vision. Some of you, and I really felt God speak to me about this, you're holding on to your faith by your fingernails. And I'm going to speak into that in a moment. 
For some of you, you've got so much vision, you feel like you could explode. For some of you, you think, vision, yeah, I used to have that, but that's gone a long time ago. My days are behind me. And for some of you, you're saying, vision, I don't even know whether God exists. I realise I'm speaking to lots of different people. Bear with me, hopefully, something that we say is going to help you. What is vision? And what is a life like with vision? You know, this is my best definition of vision. It's a couple of definitions put together. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in you. It's a picture of what could be and what should be. And last month, we looked at the story of Nehemiah from the Old Testament, who had a vision for his city and his community, remember? And God wanted to restore and renew and rebuild, and he had to reimagine what the, uh, the city of Jerusalem could look like. And this is leading on from that kind of thought. You see, without vision in our lives, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, without vision, the people perish. And other translations say they run around unrestrained or they cast off unrestrained. In other words, when you don't have vision in your life, your life becomes almost meaningless and purposeless. And you end up running around chasing things that don't actually satisfy or bring you what you want. But with vision, we get energised, we get galvanised, we get motivated, we get inspired. Which is why Friday night for me was so brilliant. And I want to say a massive thank you to Andy and the staff team who, who organised all of Friday night. We just kind of turned up and enjoyed it and had a bit of fun. But they organised it all. And just hearing the stories of people in this church that serve and car park and, and do stuff out in the community. And in fact, a lady came and she said, you don't recognise me, do you? And, and, and I didn't, but I did as we started talking. And she used to be an RE, she was an RE teacher in one of our schools. And, and, and she, we had a great working relationship. And I used to go into the schools a lot. And now she doesn't come to this church, but she's part of Food Bank serving. It was so inspiring to me. And you see, when you have a vision as a church then actually it helps galvanise and motivate and then your life makes sense. My life makes sense. We understand that God has a big picture and he's called us into that picture. Our house is a vision-driven house, which means that all the decisions we make, all the actions we take are rooted in the vision that we believe God has given us. And I want to open that up with you a little bit this morning. There's two things I want to share with you. And this is kind of from the story of the early church in the book of Acts. But it also is our story as well. Number one is this. We are driven by a vision of what and why. We are driven by a vision of what and why. And it comes right from the words of Jesus himself. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said this. He's about to um, kind of head up to heaven. Okay, He's been crucified, resurrected. He's appeared to his disciples, and he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You want to come Tuesday night. Stuart is going to talk about our house is a Spirit-led house. We're going to talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. Maybe you're newer to church or newer to faith, and you've never, you know about the Father, you know the Son, but you're not quite so sure about the Spirit. You want to come on Tuesday night. Jesus then goes on to say, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this builds on the back of what he says in Matthew 28, which is this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have a baptism service coming up on the last Sunday in November. If you are not yet baptised, okay, we have a little pool that we put out here. We hold you under for no longer than 20 minutes. 
Okay, we make sure that you're well and truly done. That was a joke, by the way. And it is an amazing experience in your life. You get to invite your family, your friends, your world here, and they get to hear maybe part of your story. It is incredible. This is what Jesus says, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the what and the why of our vision as a church, of our mission as a church. And we express it like this. We say we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the vision. That's the mission that burns deep into our hearts. We are a vision-driven house. And you know, I think John Wimber was a guy that started a bunch of churches back in the 80s called the Vineyard Church. He's in heaven now. But he said this. He said, uh, he said I think he said that we need three conversions. We need to be converted to Christ, converted to his church, and converted to his cause. And that's what we believe here in this church as well. And I love the way that Louis Giglio is is a, a pastor in America. He put it this way. Knowing that God's plan includes you is different from you having a plan that hopefully includes God. And I love that. And I want you to know that in your workplace, you're part of God's plan. Where God has placed you, you are part of God's plan because we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. Not just on a Sunday, but wherever we are, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days, 168 hours a week, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. But what about the why behind that? Well, I'm going to explain the why behind this, but not today. I'm going to do it at our vision gathering next Sunday evening which is on Zoom, so it's online in the evening at 7.30. If you want the codes for that, you need to be on our database. So you can go to the connection point and give us your email, then we can send you the codes. Or in our online community, which is the group on Facebook, or in a connect group. So if you're in one of those three places, we will give you the codes. And we'd love you to join with us next Sunday, just for an hour, and we'll open up the why behind our vision, as well as talk to you about some other exciting things happening in the life of the church But what I want to do this morning, really, that's all set up to get to my second point, which is where I want to land and dwell a little bit. You see, in this house, we're not just driven by a vision of what and why. We are driven by a vision of who. You see, our vision is not just the activity that we're doing. Our vision is a person, and his name is Jesus. You see, that's what this house is about. That's who we are as human beings We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. Jesus. That's it. And sometimes in your life and in my life, I can't see the what and I don't understand the why. Even as a follower of Jesus, there's lots of things happened in my life and are happening in my life that I don't understand why and I can't see the what that God is doing. But in those moments, I need a fresh vision of the who. Because in the middle of the what and the why that I can't work out, there is the vision of the who. And when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he spent time with them. He hung around with them. He had meals with them. They were with him. And then when he left, he sent his Holy Spirit that he could be with them via his Holy Spirit, which we'll learn more about on Tuesday. But you know, what was interesting is that a few chapters into the story of the first house of the Lord, the first kind of church in the book of Acts, they get arrested. And the people that arrest them, the Sanhedrin and the leaders, they're so 
they're so like impressed by these men who were ordinary, unschooled men and women, but they knew somehow that they'd been with Jesus. They could just tell. And in Acts 4, from the Passion Translation, it puts it this way. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. Then they began to understand, this is beautiful, the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. I want to just pause for a moment. Just read that. Just read that. They began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. When we simply spend time with Jesus, he has an effect on us. And I want to say for some of you in this room, in our locations, online, right now, when you look at your world, when you look at your life, you don't understand what it is that's happening. You don't understand why it's happening. Maybe you're you're asking questions of God. I've been there. I'm there. Why, God, would you allow this to happen? Why would you not step in sooner? Why would you do that? What are you doing? I can't work it out. In that moment, you don't need a fresh vision of what and why. You need a fresh vision of who. You need to see him in the middle of your circumstances. They'd been with Jesus. You know, later on in in a place called Antioch, some people look at these Christians and think, do you know what? They're like little Christs. And they called them Christians. And that name means little Christ. It was meant to be like a nickname, almost a criticism. But it's great, isn't it? Someone looks at you, you're like a little Christ. You're like a little version of Jesus. That's a good thing. Louis Giglio again, he puts it this way, and I love this. The goal is to get out of the way so Christ can get in the way so people can see there is a way. That's brilliant. Wouldn't it be tragic if people came to this church looking for God and all they found was us. You see, I can't change anyone's life and you can't, but Jesus can. And we need to be and always be a Jesus-centered house where the vision of Jesus is what's beating in our, in our bones and in our blood and in our heart and in everything that we do. But you know, sometimes you can't see the what and the why, and it's then that you need to see the who. And my, um, I'm part of, we're part, as a church part of Elim, Stuart is on the national leadership team, and our regional leader, Paul Hudson, who spoke a few months ago at our midweek, um, he shared something with us as ministers just a week or so ago, and I'm using some of his thoughts and developing them because they were so good. And he talked about what happened to the Apostle John, one of the early followers of Jesus, who later in his life, when all of his friends, all of the other disciples have gone, he finds himself in a place where he can't understand the what and he can't work out the why, but then he gets a vision of the who. So we're going to go to the book of Revelation, okay, as as you do. Uh, Revelation 1 verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, okay, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Right, Patmos is a Mediterranean island. What's your favourite Mediterranean island? Shout it out. Skiathos. Anyone from Hagley, Rowley, Bromsgrove, Clibbury, online? What's your favourite Mediterranean interaction? Majorca, Malta, Cyprus. Come on. Ibiza, yeah, party, party on. Come on, there, boss, sorry. Anybody else? Kefalonia. 
there's Zante, there's Capri, there's Santorini, there's Mykonos, there's, there, there's, there's Sicily. I've been to nearly all of those. Can I just tell you, get that out of your mind. That's not Patmos. I've been to Patmos. It's a rock in the middle of a sea. It's stark. It's barren. That's where John found himself. He didn't find himself on Santorini or on Cyprus or Skiathos or Zante or Kefalonia or Malta. He found himself on the island of Patmos, not because he was unfaithful, but because he was faithful. And some of you need to hear that because you're finding yourself right now on a rock that feels horrible and you're thinking, what have I done to deserve this? You haven't. You haven't. You just find yourself on this rock. And when you look at the history and you look at scholars that look at these kind of things, they say that the name Patmos literally means this. It means my killing. Other people say it means I am squeezed to pieces. Look at that. How does that, maybe that describes how you feel about your life right now. This Patmos, this place that I've ended up in feels like my killing. It feels like I'm being squeezed to pieces. And the Bible said that John said, and I'm there because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So I'm not there because I was unfaithful. I'm there because I was faithful. I've ended up in this place because I was faithful. This is a place of containment. It's a place of exile. He's not going anywhere. This is a place of disappointment. He's an old man. And after serving Jesus for years and watching his friends lose their life for their faith, he now ends up in this place of killing and squeezing. It's also a place of isolation. All of his friends have gone. He hasn't seen Jesus face to face for decades. And you know, in life, the question, what do you see, is really important. Because sometimes we can't see what we see, or we only see what we see, and God needs to help us to see beyond what we see. And right now, I know that for many of us, as we watch the news, you know, I'm sure you watch, like me, the news daily, you think, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Anyone ever said that? Like, like, like the whole Brexit division that came up and then COVID and then this and then now the economy and energy and winter and, and all of this. Oh, I don't understand what I'm seeing. And when you see things like that long enough, it does something to you on the inside. And when your individual life is so squeezed and it feels like you're on a place of killing long enough, it does something to you on the inside. And there's a term that's really big in culture at the moment, which I'm reading a lot around, and it's this one, quiet quitting. And it's what's happening in the workplace, where they say many people are quiet quitting their jobs. They're turning up and they're doing enough, but that's it. They're not going to go any further. They're not going to go the extra mile that they used to, because actually something's died on the inside. And it's happening in churches all over the place where people are quiet, quitting. And it's happening for some people with their faith, where they're quitting quietly. Where they're just, you know what, something's died on the inside. I've been in a place of containment too long. I've been in a place of isolation too long. I've been in a place of disappointment too long. I feel that the life is being killed within me. I feel like I'm being squeezed to pieces. And this was John. But the bigger question, more important question than what do you see, is this one. Who do you see? Because when you see him in the middle of your Patmos, it changes everything. 
I can remember times in our life as a family when, especially around Simeon and Lossom, dad and mom and other things as well that we've been through in our life, where we've sat in cars and outside of a consultant's office and been told that our son will never have an independent life and will always need to be uh, looked after. And as parents in our late 20s um, trying to come to terms with that, that was not in the script of our life. And saying, God, I'm serving you here. I don't understand what it is that's happening. I don't understand why you've allowed this. And then many, many other times, and right now as well, we're asking some of those same questions. And I think that I want to try and be as honest and vulnerable as I can be, but I want to say that that quiet quitting is something that's real for every single one of us. What do I do when I'm squeezed? What do I do when I'm stuck on the island of Patmos? Well, look at what John did. You see, Patmos can be the best place you've ever been to in your life if you respond like John did. Just look at this in Revelation. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Just let me stop there. It's like, on the Lord's day, okay? So in other words, there's, there's, I'm on the island of Patmos. I'm feeling like it's my killing and I'm squeezed to pieces. But you know what? I'm in the Spirit. I'm going to put God first, even when life sucks. That's powerful, isn't it? So many of us as Christians, when we're squeezed, when we're going to church, that's the last thing we want to do. Being in the Spirit is the last thing we want to do because we're cross and we're angry with God. And I understand that. And it's okay to be cross and angry with God, but it's what you do with it that's really important. And the Bible said that on the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And I love this. I turned around to see the voice. See, many of us can't hear the voice because we're not looking in the right direction. Because I turned around to see the voice. That sounds a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? You don't see a voice, you hear a voice. No, sometimes I'm with Alison. She's talking to me and I can't hear what she's saying. I have to look at her. That's called old age, all right, on my account. But sometimes you've got to look into the face of the one that you're looking at to really hear the voice. This is what happens to John. And I saw the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And we're not going to go on about the seven golden lampstands and all that for a minute. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash round his chest. Who's that? Jesus. So when he's on Patmos, when he's in that place of containment and killing and isolation and disappointment, he gets himself in the spirit on the Lord's day. He hears a voice and he gets a fresh vision of Jesus. You need that. And so do I. You see, when we get that fresh vision of Jesus, we get a fresh perspective of who God is. So many of us as followers of Jesus, I think we see God as a little God and we need a fresh vision that God is not a little God. He's a huge God, isn't he? He's an amazing, massive God and my life stuck on Patmos is not the end of the story because God is a bigger God than that. And whether I live or whether I die, God is still a bigger God than that. But he gets a fresh vision of who Jesus is, which changes everything. In 1981, I became a Christian. I was 15 and a half. I showed you how old I am. And... I gave my life to Jesus. I was brought up in church, but I didn't know Jesus. I knew all about him, but I didn't know him. In 1981, I became a Christian. In 1980, 
a guy who was a hero to me, um, I never knew him, never met him, uh, was a songwriter. Uh, he grew up in uh, the 70s uh, as a musician in California in the hippie movement and got saved, became a Christian. His name was Keith Green. Became not only a singer, but almost a prophet. And I used to listen to his stuff. I used to play his stuff. I used to sing some of his stuff. And he wrote a song in 1980 called, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. And I haven't heard this song for a long time, but in my formative years, this was an incredibly powerful song to me because it encompasses everything I want my life to be about. And a guy has released this uh, just a few weeks ago on a new album, and I'd never, I hadn't heard it for years. And I've asked the band if they could sing it to you and over you today, because I believe that God wants to use this song to impact you, maybe in a fresh and a new way. Let me just read the words to you. It says, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. And it goes on to say, I want to take your word and shine it all around. But first, help me just to live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, because some of you are doing well today. Okay, when I'm doing well, help me never to seek a crown. For my reward is giving glory to you. And then something I felt the Holy Spirit say is important for some of you. And it's the second verse. Oh Lord, please light the fire that once burned deep within. <laughs> Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. So where are you today? Maybe you're quietly quitting. Maybe you're cross and angry with God. Maybe you're doing well. But you're doing so well that you've lost sight of the one who you say is your Lord and your leader. I want to pray for you. And then the guys are going to sing this song over you. And I want to encourage you to respond during this song. And maybe for you, responding during this song looks like this, that you're going to just sit there and on the inside, you're going to say, Lord, this is my prayer as well. I want to see you again. I need a fresh vision of who you are. Well, Lord, I need you to light the fire again that once burned deep within. Maybe for some of you, you want to actually stand. And there's a line that will come in the song and you'll stand and say, that's me, that's my line. I'm standing because I want to receive that. I want to say, God, that's me. I want to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And when I hear His voice, I want to turn and see His voice. I don't just want to hear it, I want to see it because I need a fresh vision of Jesus. I don't know how you want to respond, but I want to invite you by the Spirit of Jesus to respond to Him today. And maybe you say, hey, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I don't even know that God exists. Maybe you can sense something during this song and you want to find out a little bit more about who He is. Let me pray. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you this morning that wherever we are in our life, whatever island we're stuck on, whatever place we are squeezed However we're squeezed right now, even if we feel like this is the place of our killing, may this place not just be the place of our killing, may it be the place of our seeing. May we see you, Jesus, I pray. God, it doesn't mean that everything will necessarily change. Maybe that we still have the same health issue that we've got now. Still got the same relational issue that we've got now. It's the same financial issue, the same whatever. Nothing may change, but everything changes when we see you. Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, when I see you, I know, Lord, 
Even when I can't see you, God, I know that you see me. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. God, I feel like I'm squeezed right now. Because I know your grace abounds to me. I know your grace is sufficient for me on my Patmos. So Lord, all I need to do is to see you, to hear your voice. That's enough. That's enough. So Jesus, I pray by your Spirit that you touch many hearts and many lives. And that God, that we would respond to you in these moments. In Jesus' name. Amen.